What's up, everybody? JT Sports here, back at you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will the defenses of the Buffalo Bills and Las Vegas Raiders be this upcoming NFL season? What role will rookie safety Kyle Hamilton have on the Ravens' defense? And who was the better wide receiver, Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. How good will the Buffalo Bills defense be this upcoming NFL season? Last year in 2021, Buffalo had the best defense in the NFL. You look at Leslie Frazier. We keep asking ourselves, when is Eric Bieniemy going to get a head coaching opportunity? But every offseason, I'm always asking myself, when is Leslie Frazier finally going to get an opportunity to become an NFL head coach? Because he has been one of the best defensive coordinators in the league ever since he took over the D.C. job with the Bills. And the job that he's done with this defense over the last few years has been simply outstanding. And last year was kind of the epitome of it because they were number one in multiple categories statistically on the defensive side of the football. So I think that is only a matter of time before we see Leslie Frazier finally become an NFL head coach. Are the Bills going to be able to have the number one defense in the league for a second consecutive year? I don't know. I'm not saying the Bills defense is going to be bad. I still expect this to be a top five defense, top 10 at worst. However, it is kind of hard to maintain that number one defense year in and year out. Really hard to do. We have seen some defenses done do it in the past, but it's extremely hard to do it back-to-back years you don't see it that often however for the Buffalo Bills I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to pull it off I'm really excited about the pass rushing group that the Bills have going into this season you have Gregory Russo who had a pretty good rookie year as a matter of fact he surprised many people because remember what the narrative was about Gregory Russo when he got drafted last year coming out of Miami he was more of a project player he had to sit for a year had to develop well he ended up having a really good training camp a really good preseason and then when he got opportunities to make plays he made them he had four sacks eight tackles for loss in the interception I'm really excited about what Gregory Russo can do this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up having eight, nine sacks this season. Then on top of that, you have A.J. Vanessa, Boogie Basham, but then you have Von Miller. Von Miller played a really critical part in helping the Rams win the Super Bowl last year. He was really big in their Super Bowl run. He had nine and a half sacks, and there were many people who saw his huge mega deal, and they were saying, oh, the Bills overpaid, he's in his 30s, he could end up regressing at any moment. Here's the thing when it comes to Von Miller. Von Miller is a future Hall of Famer, okay? And when you have a Hall of Fame caliber player, 
they tend to regress at a slower rate than your average NFL player. Take Tom Brady, for example. Tom Brady is, what, 100 years old, and he's still amongst one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You look at Chandler Jones, he's in his 30s. He's still one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. So when you have a Hall of Fame-level player, you can't look at their age and just say, oh, they're going to regress because they're old. Because great players regress at a slower war rate. They're not normal. It's a reason why they're Hall of Famers. Hall of Famers are some of the best players to ever play this game. So, of course, they're not going to have the average career as a normal NFL player. And when you look at Von Miller, I think that he could be the missing piece that the Buffalo Bills have needed to finally get over the hump. If you're looking for a player who can help you get off the field against Kansas City, this is it. I really think that Von Miller is the missing piece for the Buffalo Bills being able to finally get over that Super Bowl hurdle and getting into the championship game. You also had Ed Oliver, who arguably had the best year of his NFL career up to this point. You got Daquan Jones. Tremaine Edmonds is really interesting. And as a Steeler fan, I follow Terrell Edmonds, and he gets a good amount of criticism. But the Edmonds brothers are way better than what many people look at them. Because for Tremaine Edmonds, you have some people that will say, oh, JT, he's average. He's not that great of a linebacker. I'll give you that. Okay? He's not one of the best linebackers in the game. But he's not awful. He's not a bust. He he plays his role in the Bills' defense perfectly. He does what is asked for him. However, you would love to see him take his game to that next level. You would like to see a Pro Bowl caliber performance out of him because you did spend a first-round pick on him. But Tremaine Edmonds does what's needed. However, I think Matt Milano is the best linebacker on the Bills roster. 86 tackles last year, 15 tackles for loss, and five pass deflections. You look at somebody who can do it all, I think Matt Milano definitely is that kind of linebacker. And I think he's kind of underrated in a sense, okay? We're not going to mention Matt Milano in the conversation of being one of the best linebackers in the game with guys such as Roquan Smith, Darius Leonard, You get what I'm saying? Fred Warner and whatnot. However, I do think that Matt Milano is quietly underrated. And I think you could probably consider him to be a top 10 linebacker. And it may be a little bit of a hot take to some people. But I think Matt Milano is really good. I don't think too many people recognize what he does and how important his role is in this Buffalo defense. You also, when you look at the cornerback position... You have Tre Davis White, who tore his ACL in November. I believe it was on Thanksgiving. He was having a really good season. But despite his injury, the secondary still played phenomenally well. You lost Levi Wallace, who pretty much was your best corner during that span when Trey White was out. He's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. However, you're going to be replacing him with rookie corner Kyra Elam, who was drafted in the first round of this past year's draft out of Florida. I think Kyrie Elam could potentially end up being an upgrade from Levi Wallace. And Elam was somebody who I was really high on 
before the college football season kicked off last year. Many people had him going right after Derek Stingley in the top 10. However, Florida's defense didn't play all that well. Kerry Elam didn't have the kind of season that many people were expecting him to have, but he still was really good. And I think with him going to the Buffalo Bills, it was a really good fit for him. Then you have Teron Johnson, who quietly has emerged as one of the best slot receivers in the game. I don't know if you consider him to be top five, top three, but he's definitely in that conversation. The dude can do it all. You can blitz him off the edge. He's good in coverage. He's also a really good tackler. So for Teron Johnson, man, I think he's quietly underrated in his own right as safety we already know the bills probably have the best safety tandem in the league or one of the best jordan poyer makahai we know what they bring they're one of the most consistent safety groups in the nfl so when you look at this defense man this pass rush i'm really excited for it because if gregory russo can end up giving you eight nine sacks we already know what von miller is going to do it's going to be scary. Then you have some good rotational pieces. AJ Epinesa, I mean, hopefully he can end up coming around being somebody who can maybe give you four or five sacks. Boogie Basham, on t- probably in that same category. But this is a Bills defense that I honestly think that with the loss of Levi Wallace, you're going to be replacing with Kyra Elam. I think that's an upgrade. I think that Elam could be viewed as somebody who could be in the running for defensive rookie of the year. That's how good I think he is. Because if the Bills are going to make it to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to need Elam to step up. And it's not as if they're asking him to be their number one corner. Okay, he's probably going to be their number two corner behind Trey Davis White. So he's going to be matched up against the number twos, maybe some number threes, depending on the formation and the sets that the offense has come in. So there's not going to be immense pressure when you compare other cornerbacks who are drafted ahead of him, such as Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner, who are going to be guarding the number ones. Elam's probably going to be matched up against the number twos, while Trey Davis-White takes over the number ones. So I think for Kyra Elam, he has a really good opportunity to be one of the best rookie cornerbacks, and I think he's going to be really good this year. But overall, this is a Buffalo Bills defense that, although I don't think they're going to have the best defense in the league this season... I do think they probably are going to be around top five, top 10. I expect this defense to still be elite. But you guys let me know how you guys feel about the Buffalo Bills defense going into the 2022 NFL season down in the comment section down below. How good will the Las Vegas Raiders defense be in 2022? This was a defense that was kind of underrated last year. I know that it got off to a pretty slow start. But late in the season, around November, this defense played really well. And we talk about what the offense did. The offense wasn't all that great. As a matter of fact, this defense kept the offense in a good amount of games. So going into this year, I think that this may be one of the best defenses that the Raiders have put on paper in a very long time. And I can't remember the last time... I can recall the Raiders having a defense that was remotely close to being as talented as the one that they have right now. Then on top of that, you have defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, which I'm really jealous because 
I wanted the Pittsburgh Steelers to get him. And he ended up going to Las Vegas, which caught many people off guard. I was saying, okay, he's going to be with Josh McDaniels. And that kind of says a lot about Josh McDaniels as a head coach. Because remember, he got a lot of flack for what happened with Indianapolis. He originally was going to take that job, but then he backed out at the last minute, ended up staying as the OC for New England. So many people were a little bit skeptical. But the fact that he was able to get Patrick Graham kind of shows you that, hey, man, there are some people out there who are believers in Josh McDaniels. You look at Patrick Graham, you can't go off what happened last year with the defense that he had with the New York Giants, okay? Don't do that. The Giants' offense was a mess. They were going through and out every single possession. They couldn't sustain drives. On top of that, Daniel Jones got injured, so they had guys off the street playing quarterback. So when your defense is on the field for that many plays and that many snaps, of course, it's not going to be all that great. They're going to get tired. They're going to get gassed. And unless you have elite depth, it's going to be extremely hard to have a serviceable defense. But if you go back to 2020, that was a phenomenal defense that put that Patrick Graham had put on the field for the New York Giants. And his defensive philosophy, he... He loves to run a lot of different sets. He throws a lot of different things at you. He runs a multiple defense, which means that he's not, you know, locked into a 3-4 defense or whatnot. He can change his defense within any time necessary during game. So with him running a multiple defense, you got to have versatile players that can do a different amount of things. And when you look at this defensive line, it's really explosive. You have guys who can play inside, outside, and not only do you have a lot of versatility on this defensive line, but you have monsters. You have guys who are big and take up a lot of space, and not only that, but they're super explosive. You have Nichols, Jonathan Hankins, Vernon Butler, Andrew Billings. Then rookie Matthew Butler was drafted in the fifth round out of Tennessee from this past year's NFL draft, 6'4", 297 pounds, like I said, with the other defensive linemen that the Raiders currently have. He's versatile. He's capable of playing every position on the D-line. He has a really good technique. He has really good hands. And on top of that, he's quick off the edge. And you wouldn't really think that somebody who's 6'4", 297 pounds could play on the edge and have good quickness, but he does. He moves phenomenally well for his size, and not just him, but you also have another rookie who they drafted in the round before him, Neil Farrell out of LSU. He's 6'4", 330 pounds. This guy is a gap clogger. I call him a refrigerated protector. Because the dude is just massive, and he just takes up so much space. And he's probably not going to give you much when it comes to pass rush, and neither is Matthew Butler. But really, you're bringing these guys in to help you against the run. You're looking for somebody who can just clog up those gaps and make it hard to find those running lanes. And for Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler, they do that. Neil Farrell is a bully. That's the only way to describe him. If you go and you watch his LSU tape, he's pushing guys around. He's mauling guys. Uh, I forgot what game it was, but he literally just, I don't know what it is when a defensive lineman runs over an offensive lineman. I know they don't call it pancake, but he 
He just put he just put an offensive lineman on his back. I forgot what game it was, but he's a bully. He plays a lot of bully ball. He's also really quick and has a lot of explosiveness as well. He consistently is able to get off double teams, but he's not going to be that much of a factor in passing situations, and neither is Matthew Butler. However, these are going to be two rookies who you might see a good amount of in short yardage situations, such as third and inches or inside of the red zone, on the goal line. I'm really excited about this Raiders defensive line. It may not have tons of flash, but you do have guys who are really good against the run, and you do have a couple of players who can give you a little bit when it comes to pass rush, but mainly your pass rush is going to come from Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Max Crosby is coming off his first ever Pro Bowl appearance. He had eight sacks last year. Then you pair him up with Chandler Jones, who had 10 and a half sacks. He's coming off a Pro Bowl season as well. And there was some question marks about Chandler Jones last season with the Arizona Cardinals because I believe he was coming off an injury, Arizona. That's kind of why they were hesitant to come to the table with a new contract for him. So he ends up signing with the Raiders, and you trade away Yannick Ngakwe. And I think that this is an upgrade because don't let the age fool you. I just got done talking about Von Miller. When you have a player that is a Hall of Fame caliber player, such as a Von Miller or Chandler Jones or whatnot, they regress at a slower rate than normal. So just because he's in his 30s, don't let that fool you. This is somebody who's still going to end up putting up double-digit sack numbers. Chandler Jones shouldn't have... Nowhere worse than eight sacks this season, which is still good. Because then you have Max Crosby. Max Crosby could definitely end up having 10 sacks. And Max Crosby, man, I mean, where do you rank him amongst some of the best pass rushers in the game? Because Max Crosby, not too many people know how good he really is. I mean, the dude, his rookie season after coming out of Eastern Michigan, had 10 sacks. And he wasn't even the first-round pick. He was a mid-round selection. So for Max Crosby, the guy has been one of the most consistent pass rushers that we have in the NFL. He's been putting up phenomenal numbers ever since he was a rookie. Then, this is where the big question is going to be for me. Linebacker. You have Denzel Perryman, who kind of came out of nowhere. He made it to his first ever Pro Bowl. It took him a while. But the thing with Denzel Perryman has never really been talent. It really has just been... Can he stay healthy? And even then, I don't even think he played every single game last year. But he played enough that he was good enough and he was able to make it to the Pro Bowl. He had 154 tackles. The dude is a machine. But after him, I don't really know what the Raiders' plans are going to be at linebacker. You signed Jayon Brown in free agency. He's played with the Tennessee Titans over the last couple of seasons. He's really good against the run. You also can send him on blitzes, but he struggles in pass coverage, and his play has kind of deteriorated over the last two years. You also have Divine Diablo, Michael Kaiser, Kenny Young. So I don't really know how that other linebacker spot is going to look. But, I mean, you do have some guys who do have some promise there. Many people expect Jayon Brown to end up winning that other inside linebacker spot. But I don't really know what to expect from the linebackers this year. At cornerback is probably where many people's concerns are going to lie. But, believe it or not, I feel pretty confident about 
the Las Vegas Raiders cornerbacks going into 2022. And that may shock many of you guys because I have made a lot of jokes about the Raiders defense over the last couple of years, especially when it comes to their secondary. They just draft corners every year and they never work out, it seems like. But this is a pretty good group they have. You have Trayvon Mullen, who only played in five games last year due to injuries. He probably has been their best cornerback for the last couple of years. He's been pretty solid. Not the greatest. You get what I'm saying? Not saying that he played at an elite level or whatnot, but I think he's been pretty solid. You have Anthony Everett who you picked up in free agency. He was the Baltimore Ravens' best cornerback last year. As a matter of fact, that was the best year of his NFL career up to this point. So you have him, you have Rocky Sin. Then the player who I'm the most excited about out of this whole entire defense is slot cornerback Nate Hobbs. When the Raiders drafted Nate Hobbs, I was so excited. This is probably the only cornerback that they have drafted out of the last couple of years that has actually worked out outside of Trayvon Mullen. 51 tackles, three pass deflections, an interception, a sack, and a forced fumble. Last year as a rookie, he was one of the best slot corners in the game. As a matter of fact, I think he only, I don't even think he gave up a touchdown. If he did, it might have only been one touchdown, but I'm pretty sure that he didn't give up a single touchdown, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but Nate Hobbs was phenomenal. I love Nate Hobbs. This is somebody who can come up, lay the lumber on you. He just makes plays, man. Every time I watched the Raiders play, he was always somewhere around the football. I love Nate Hobbs, man. I think that he could end up being really special, man. I'm really excited about him. I might have to end up making a segment about him in the next couple of weeks, man, because I'm a big fan of Nate Hobbs. He was one of my favorite players when he was coming out of the drive out of Illinois. Really underrated. This is one of of the few defensive backs that the Las Vegas Raiders have been able to hit on in the past. At safety, you have Jonathan Abrams. Uh, I don't really know how I feel about Jonathan Abrams, man. And even when he got drafted, I wasn't really a huge fan because I just thought that, okay, yeah, he's good in run support, but I mean, where's the pass coverage at? And that's kind of has been the thing that he struggled with is pass coverage. You got Trayvon Morick. Tyree Galepsi. So the safety position, it's TBD. It's to be decided. But your cornerback position is probably the best that it's been in a very long time. This defense definitely is going to be improved. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a top 10 unit, man. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that. But with the fact that you have one of the more innovative defensive coordinators in the game and Patrick Graham and the versatility that he loves to have on defense, having multiple guys who can play several positions. You also have somebody who can change his scheme and somewhat because he runs a multiple defense, as I mentioned earlier. So that means he can change from a 3-4 to a 3-3-5. Whatever he feels he needs to run to win the game, he wants that kind of versatility. He wants to be able to do that. And I really love the fact that they were able to pick him up. But I do think that this defense may take a while to get going. It could end up having some early season struggles because he runs a pretty complex defense. I was listening to an interview 
a couple of months ago by Logan Ryan. He was on the herd and he was talking about Patrick Graham and he was talking about the complexity of his defense. It's not an easy defense to pick up. You really have to take some time to learn this defense. It's a lot of small nuances in it. And that's why I love Patrick Graham so much because He's a head coach that pays attention to the details, and details are really important because when you have coaches who pick up on the small details, those small things end up building up, and that's how you end up having a really great defense. So if you're a Raiders fan, you should be really excited about this defense going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season because this could possibly be the best defense that the Raiders have put on the field in a very long time. I can't remember the last time Las Vegas had a top 10 defense, but I know it's been well over a decade. So let me know how you guys, Ritter Nation, are feeling about this defense heading into the upcoming 2022 NFL season down in the comment section down below. So I had a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago who ended up sending me a picture of Kyle Hamilton from the NFL player um, rookie premiere photo shoot that they do every year. And he was telling me, he said, man, just looking at Kyle Hamilton, I think he's going to be a bust, JT. I don't think he's going to be all that great. So you know what I did? I picked up my iPhone and I, I gave him a call. And I just had, I just had, I'm not going to say I educated him because it pretty much was a scolding. You feel me? Because... I feel it was really disrespectful. The fact that the Ravens were able to steal Kyle Hamilton, it's a crime. It should be an absolute crime. You see, as a Steeler fan, I really hate the fact that the Raiders are really, not the Raiders, the Ravens are really good at drafting. They really are. There aren't too many draft picks that the Ravens missed on. The Ravens at least draft a Pro Bowl caliber player in almost every single draft. Literally. And Kyle Hamilton, man, he just brings something different to this defense. And I was telling my friend this. I said, Kyle Hamilton is not your typical safety. Kyle Hamilton can play anywhere on this defense. He can play linebacker if you want him to. Maybe you can play him in the slot, blitz him off the edge. He can play safety. He can play single high. You can line him inside the box if you want to play cover one. But what role is he going to have on Baltimore's defense? Because there is a little bit of trickery when it comes to getting the most out of somebody who has Kyle Hamilton's skill set. Let me give you guys a good example. Remember when Isaiah Simmons was drafted by Arizona a couple of years ago and he struggled out the gate as a rookie? Because Arizona didn't really know how to use him. And they didn't really know what position he really was. They didn't know if he was a linebacker or safety. So they had to experiment. And with that experimentation, there came a lot of growing pains. But eventually, Isaiah Simmons was able to finally settle in. And he ended up being a pretty good pickup for Arizona. So when you look at Kyle Hamilton... I don't think the Ravens are going to have those kinds of struggles because their new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, was the defensive coordinator for Michigan last year. And remember, Michigan had probably one of the best defenses in college football. They didn't have the best defense that belonged to Georgia, but their defense was phenomenal. And one of their key players on defense last year was defensive back Daston Hill, who also, like Calvin Hill, Kyle Hamilton got drafted in the first round. However, he went late to Cincinnati. 
And he was used all over the place. They were kind of using him and, you know, the slot, safety. He was just all over. Now, him and Kyle Hamilton, they're not the same player, but they do have similarities in their game. Even though Daxton Hill is way more explosive, he has a lot of twitchiness in his game. But for Kyle Hamilton, he's really rangy. And if you put him inside the box, this dude does work. He can cover tight ends. He can guard running backs coming out of the backfield. So if you have a Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara, you put Kyle Hamilton on him, that should pretty much neutralize that. So you are matched up against really good pass-catching backs. You can put Kyle Hamilton up close to the line of scrimmage, and that's how you can handle that. You can also blitz him off the edge. When you think about his role on this defense— I think he's just going to be doing a little bit of everything. And the Ravens still do have Chuck Clark. So I do think with the fact that if Baltimore decides to keep Chuck Clark and they don't trade him or get rid of him or whatever, I think that brings a a lot to this defense because then you can use some three safety looks. And then on nickel and dime packages, you can sub Kyle Hamilton in as another linebacker. It's just a lot of versatility that he brings to this Ravens defense. So when you think about his role, I don't really think he's going to be locked in at a specific role. I think he's going to do so many things. And also, he can cover because some people are wondering how he would fare in a two high or if you even want to put him as a one high safety because people have questions about his speed because of the 40 time that he put up in the combine. But When you watch his film, I see somebody who runs way faster in game than what he ran in his 40 time. And this isn't a guy who is accustomed to running because if you go back and you watch his 40-yard dash, he was running all over the place. And the 40-yard dash isn't really a testament to true game speed. It really just... I really don't care too much about the 40-yard dash, to be honest with you. I saw Kyle Hamilton against Florida State last year come from all the way on the opposite side of the field to pick off interception on the sideline. So for Kyle Hamilton, he can do whatever Baltimore needs him to do. But I really expect him to play somewhere between, you know, not really between, but I expect him to play close up to the line of scrimmage. I really feel that's where he's at his best because not only can he cover running backs, but he can also cover tight ends, which is really important because If you have an offense that has an elite tight end, it brings a different element. It's really hard to defend the Travis Kelsey, a Darren Waller, and a George Kittle. So you bring in Kyle Hamilton to kind of slow those guys down. It kind of makes it difficult on the offense because then you have to find other players to throw the football to. Because when you have a dominant tight end, they're, they're really difficult to deal with. So for Kyle Hamilton... I expect him to play up really close to the line of scrimmage. I expect him to be utilized in a lot of different ways on the defense because Mike McDonald did the same thing with Daxton Hill. And although they are different players, you can kind of utilize them in similar ways. However, if you put Kyle Hamilton on the slot, in the slot, I don't think he's going to be guarding slot receivers because he doesn't have great short area quickness so I think if he ends up getting matched up against slot receivers I think he could potentially struggle there with the faster slot receivers in this game however if you want to put him in the slot and use him the blitz off the edge and whatnot sort of 
as like another pass rusher in a sense. I think that also will work as well. So for Kyle Hamilton, man, his role in his defense, I just think he's going to be doing everything. You're going to see him lined up everywhere. The dude's going to go crazy. I expect him to be in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year because for Kyle Hamilton, for him to fall to the Baltimore Ravens was just a match made in heaven because for Baltimore, they love players that are really good when it comes to doing a lot of things in the secondary, man. I mean, you think about Deshaun Elliott. I was kind of hurt to see him go. He was one of my favorite players to watch. But you look at Kyle Hamilton, he's an upgrade in a sense. And I think Kyle Hamilton may end up being one of the best safeties that the Ravens have had in a very long time. I'm not going to say he could potentially end up being as good as you-know-who. Not going to say that. But I expect Kyle Hamilton, man, to do a lot of phenomenal things in this defense because he's going to be put in situations where he's going to be able to get all of he's going to be able to put up the kind of numbers that you need to win defensive rookie of the year you think about what michael parsons did with the dallas cowboys not only playing linebacker but lining up as an edge rusher you're kind of going to see a little bit of that not you know what michael parsons was doing per se but you're going to see him lined up in so many different positions on the defense and he's going to have so many opportunities to make big plays that are going to be impactful for this Ravens defense. And as a Steelers fan, I'm really kind of worried about them because for a team that kind of struggles to throw the football downfield, when you got a team that likes to run a lot of short passes and quick passing concepts and whatnot, that really isn't ideal when you have somebody of the skill set of Kyle Hamilton. So let me know what you guys think Kyle Hamilton's role is going to bring uh, is going to be and this Baltimore Ravens defense this upcoming season. I'm really excited for what he's going to be able to do because really he's just one of those players that you just say, listen, man, we're just going to put you anywhere and you just go play football. However, with that kind of versatility, he is going to have to be able to pick up the playbook pretty fast. I'm pretty sure they're going to ease him into things. I'm pretty sure they're not just going to throw everything at him all at once, but there is a little bit of a learning curve. And another reason why some players such as Isaiah Simmons and Kyle Hamilton are prone to struggling is because they're not really good at one position per se. Because they spend so many times flexed out at other positions that their reps at one spot are kind of limited. So for Kyle Hamilton, with him doing so many things on Notre Dame's defense, you know, you kind of wonder just how good is he in a certain aspect. But I think that Kyle Hamilton is going to have a really good rookie season. He's one of my three finalists for the award. I think that he's going to do wonders for this Baltimore Ravens defense. This was a defense that struggled a lot last year, especially against the pass. So for Kyle Hamilton, even if you want to line them up and just use him as a true safety kind of would defeat the purpose of drafting him because when you have somebody with the skill set that can do so many things you kind of got to take advantage of it but if he does have to be a true safety and you line him up alongside of Marcus Williams I also think he can do that I think that he's pretty good in coverage some people think he's too slow but I don't know man I I just think maybe I'm kind of overrating him and I am a little bit biased because I had him graded as my number one player on my draft board but with the versatility that he brings and the fact that you have a defensive coordinator that is accustomed to being able to utilize somebody of this skill set, 
I think that he's in a situation where he should succeed. I think he's going to have a really good rookie season for the Baltimore Ravens. But let me know how you guys feel about Carl Helmetan down in the comment section down below. And what role do you think he's going to have on this defense this year? What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. So in this segment of the JT Sports podcast, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I'm going to be discussing who is better, Antonio Brown or Julio Jones in their prime. Instead of me just giving you guys my take, I decided to call up a couple of friends or homies and have them give their takes as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. I had a lot of fun doing this a lot of my friends always ask you know if they can ever come on the podcast so i figured this was a pretty good discussion to have them come on and give their input on so hope you guys enjoy make sure that you guys check out the jt sports podcast available on all podcasting platforms apple podcast spotify podcast google podcast wherever you get your podcast from the jt sports podcast is available guy dante what's going on so, I needed his assistance because I'm about to talk about one of the hardest debates there is. And that's who was the better wide receiver in their prime, Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? Me, I have to go with Antonio Brown. And the reason why I got to go with Antonio Brown is simply because of this. Antonio Brown was a all-pro for four straight seasons. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. I think he was the best wide receiver in the game at that time. Better than Julio. However, when you think about who was more physically imposing, you got to give it to Julio Jones. If there was a 50-50 matchup and I had to choose between Antonio Brown or Julio Jones, I'm picking Julio Jones. But it's not as if Antonio Brown was any slouch because Antonio Brown was making contested catches against double, triple, and quadruple coverage. And you also could throw back shoulder fades to Antonio Brown as well. But if it comes to a 50-50 ball, I'm picking the guy who's 6'3", 220 pounds. But when we are talking about who is better overall in their prime, I have to give it to A.B., man. I really do because A.B., he was just so dynamic. And the thing with Julio Jones is that he didn't find the end zone as much as Antonio Brown. So that's another reason why I go with Antonio Brown. But who do you have? Who you think is better? Me, it's a hard question to decide. Yes, I'm a, a not Antonio Brown, but um, Julio Jones is my favorite receiver of all time. I love him. I like the man so much. But Antonio Brown do is over him. And plus, you can't only look at them two primarily. You got to look, look at what's around them. When Antonio Brown at the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steelers was always good, always in the playoff. There was always a dark horse to go to the Super Bowl. Well, Atlanta, Julio Jones only made the Super Bowl one time. Throughout his whole career, I probably can name what, how many, I mean, we, really, we really can't name how many times he made to the playoff like that. Well, he, well I, I don't really uh, think you can hold that against Julio, for real. You get what right. I'm saying? Because you're Atlanta right. has gone to the playoffs a good amount of times during – Julio Jones' tenure there. I think they went, uh, was it? It was one year they lost to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. I think it was 20, was it 20? 
I can't remember the year when they went to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick and whatnot. I think it might have been 2012, I believe, or 2011. Either one of those. But, I mean, Julio Jones has had some games. I mean, he's also been to the playoffs a good amount of time also. You get what I'm saying? That's true. But I was looking at a team-wise. The, like the, uh, I'd say the, the team-wise got made. That, you know, that person, that that type of important type. Like, they got to make him, oh, we always go to the Super Bowl. I just feel always in the playoffs, this and that, whatever. So they got to make him some type of, you know, a spotlight on him. Because the team-wise doing good as well. He's on the team. He's he the best of all time. Okay, I get it. So you're, you're saying that. Antonio Brown played in bigger games since he was able to make it yeah. to the postseason a little bit more than Julio Jones, so he had the spotlight on him. Yeah. I mean... I can say they could play a part. I can say they could play a part. That's no reason why I choose Tony Brown with Julio. I don't know, bro. I really can't get behind that because I feel that Julio Jones... We, we all recognize Julio Jones as being one of the best in the game. He wasn't underrated. Yeah, I don't... I don't feel... I don't feel as if... I don't know. I just can't really get behind that claim. But I mean, I just, I just can't get behind it, man. I can't get behind that claim. I think they both played in the same amount of big games. Even though Antonio Brown may have been to the postseason more times than Julio Jones. I mean, we know what Julio Jones was. He wasn't underrated in a sense. I think that's an argument that is better suited for a wide receiver who may not get as much attention. We already knew Julio Jones was a baller. We didn't need to see him in the postseason every single year to know how good he was. You feel me? But, I mean, what, what what's your other reasoning for why you think Antonio Brown is better? Other reason, uh, uh, great, great, great. I stand for word. Phenomenal hands. Yes, Julio Jones got the same thing, but watching Antonio, I love watching Antonio. I love watching Antonio Brown play more than I watch Julio. Cause he just some people, some athlete, just have that it, and he just have that it. He's just that guy who have that it. He make you buy tickets just to watch him. He make you go on YouTube and just watch his highlight, watch his footwork, watch him. You know, do other guys one v one. Like he make you watch them type of club. Julio, on the other hand. It's just not all that similar. It's just not, I, I can't, okay, I'm bored. I want to watch you two and watch Julio. No, it's, I want to watch Tony Brown. I want to see what Tony Brown doing. And then outside of social, like outside of football, you know, he just, it's just that, some athletes just have that it. And he just, he just want to play who just have that it. Now, not telling guys who have that it, like Tony Brown does, as Rock see your position. Yeah, bro, I feel you. Antonio Brown was more entertaining to watch. But, I mean, I had a pretty good time watching Julio because I think Julio had a couple of games when he went off. I think he had one game he went off for 200 or something like that. So, I mean, for Julio Jones, he's had his moments as well. But I I, I would agree with you at that point. If there was a wide receiver who I had to pick to watch play between Antonio Brown and Julio Jones, I'm picking Antonio Brown because he was the more fun player to watch. And I think a lot of people have a misconception about Antonio Brown that he was just all finesse. But there were a lot of occasions where if you watch Antonio Brown one-on-one matchups, he was, he was winning those. He could go up and get those 50-50 balls. Even in the red zone, people were throwing back shoulder face to Julio in the red zone. People were throwing back shoulder face to Antonio Brown in the red zone. So this was somebody who played way bigger than his size. 
But yeah, I think Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the game. Well, the best wide receiver of the two. Even though I don't think that it's as far as apart. I think it is really close. It really just depends because if I talk to somebody else, somebody else is probably going to tell me, yeah, JT, Julio Jones was better, but I'm going to side with AB. But I appreciate you, man, for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, man. So I have another one of my homeboys on, man. What, you want to tell the people your name or you want to stay anonymous? Shit, yeah, I'll tell people my name, shit, it's Beezy. All right, man, so Beezy, bro, who who you think was better in their prime, Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? Yeah, I ain't gonna lie, I gotta go AB. AB was smooth, like, feel me, like, I'm following Julio, like, Julio, you feel me, he played for my favorite team, the Falcons, you know, anybody, you don't think I'd go Julio, but I ain't gonna lie, AB was smooth, though, like, AB was different. Like, I fought with AB, so I go AB. Oh, bro, like, what what made AB better than Julio, bro? Because who I feel too many people low key selling Julio short. Even though I am, I do solid AB. I feel too many people kind of slighting my dog Julio, bro. Because Julio, uh, he had a couple games when he went for two hundred. Now you feel me? Oh yeah, see what I say. I fought with Julio though, like you feel me. Like, who little played for the Falcons? You know, that's my favorite team. So, that boy snap. Hell, yeah, he snap. But, you know, A.B. just was like, oh, no, like, he just was different. I, I feel like he probably had, like, more production. Probably that's why, because he had more production on the team. Like, the team is, you know, the, like, the Steelers had, like, a, a better season. Like, they had better seasons. He got more accomplishments. Like, like more, more, like, uh, you feel me? He got, like, more, yeah, more accomplishments. Heck yeah, bro. Alright, fam. I appreciate Alright, man. So I got my other friend on the phone. You want to tell the people your name? Real man, name? Fake name? Man, 1K underscore. 1K dot Omar underscore at the end, man. Real ball player, man. Real dog lockdown DB, man. Alright, bro. Make sure we go check my dude out. I'm going to have everybody's Instagram in the comment section down below. So, Tell me out, man. Who you think was better in their prime? Antonio Brown or Julio Jones? Everybody keeps saying A.B., man. You going with A.B. too? Man, I'm going to have to switch it up on that one. The way I had it, I got to go with Julio, man. Julio, I choose Julio because his stature. He's six. He's a monster. He's a freak of nature. This man is 6'3", six, 6'4", six, is running a 4'3". A.B. is a dog. Nothing getting took from A.B. He had played with Big Ben, Ball Dot. All the, arguably Hall of Famer, but Julio with his speed, bigger than him, taller than him, I just feel like Julio made his presence feel more. Like, you felt Julio every time he was on the field in his prime. If he was mossing you, burning you, every route in the route tree. Now, AB got all that too, but he ain't 6'3", he ain't no monster. He ain't got that, uh, he ain't got that, yeah. So yeah, it's Julio. Got, Man, I mean, shoot, I mean, Antonio Brown was was catching passes and triple coverage, quadruple coverage. I mean, he was playing. He was five ten, but he was playing like he was six yeah, six. He five ten, and he played like he six two. But what I'm saying is, if I'm if I'm looking at say I'm looking at stats and touchdowns, both of them got they, they both got the stats. But what I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with the dude who six two six three. You feel me? Like I'm going with him because five ten. 
50-50 balls, even though A.B. was he was good at them. But come on now, be realistic. Who you think you're going to realistically throw up a 50-50 ball to and go come down with it more of the time? Just because it's hype. Well, tell me now, what, what if I threw this at you? What if I told you that Antonio Brown has 20 more career touchdowns, almost 20 more career touchdowns than Julio Jones? Julio Jones has only hit double-digit touchdowns probably once or twice in his career. Antonio Brown did it more consistently. What's your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is I just feel like Ben, ben, ben forced A.B. to ball. I ain't going to say he forced him, but you just knew Big Ben was going to throw A.B. the ball. Every, he was going to get at least eight, nine targets. Julio, they didn't make it a priority to get him the ball here in Atlanta. That's why I ain't like it. With the Steelers, though, they're going to get A.B. the ball. A.B., he get mad when he don't get the ball. So they're going to keep their superstar player happy. He's going to get eight, nine targets a game with Big Ben. You seen when he was washed up and all, Big Ben was still feeding him that rock. Now, Matt Ryan on the other hand, he spread the ball out. I feel like he spread the ball out a little more, but Julio still got his, but. you saying he, he wasn't a drama queen about it, basically. He he got yeah, his. Yeah, he, he, he more humble with his targets. Like, say he don't get targeted, he know he getting double or whatever. He not going to go to the coach, oh, y'all need to get me in the game plan. He going to understand, like, it's opening up for other people. Like, when Calvin Ridley came. He started getting targets how he wanted to, like how he wanted to for real. But he took that because, you feel me, they doubling him. Calvin Ridley going to eat. For sure, fam. Let the people know where to follow you at one more time before we let you go. Man, y'all follow me on Instagram at 1k.omar underscore. Man, y'all check me out. Football player. Go watch my highlights. Omar Tolliver, you feel me? Lockdown DB. I don't want to talk too much, man.